All right, everyone, welcome to the Toasty Kettle Podcast, where I help you connect with the past through food. My name is James. I'm your host. Today is episode 45. Before I dive into today's show, I wanted to take a minute and thank you all for finding the show. If you like what you hear, make sure you leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help people find the show. I'm also looking for people who want to come on the show and talk about a favorite food memory or secret family recipe. And we all eat. We've all been touched in some way by food. If you have a story you want to share, email me at toastykettle at gmail.com and I will get you on the show or I'll read your story on air, whichever you prefer. With that out of the way, let's dive into today's episode. I think it's safe to say that we've all had an unexpected bumpy start to 2020. Today I'm interviewing Chef Lou, who is the owner of Westside Drive-In in Boise, Idaho. Chef Lou has been through a lot in life, and he runs a tight ship in the restaurant, and he's been very successful doing it. He's also tried to find ways to lift and inspire other people along the way. We all have a past, and Chef Lou tries to see beyond a rough past in his own life and in the lives of others that are around him to make sure everyone who crosses his path has a chance to succeed. So today's show is much needed food for the soul. Here's Chef Lou. Well, first, I wanted to thank you for for coming on the show, and let's have you start by introducing yourself. Okay, my name is Lou Aaron. Uh, I go by Chef Lou or Lou, and uh, I'm in Boise, Idaho. At the, I own the West Side Drive-In. I actually own two of them. And uh, originally, do you want me to tell you a little bit about myself, or just yeah, yeah, just I uh, okay. Well, I I was I was born in Boise. And uh, when I was two weeks old, my parents put me in a shoebox and we moved back to Alabama. <laughs> my, uh, so I, my first 12 years of my life were in, in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, and that's where my family's originally from. They just, uh, in the 19, late 50s, the Cuban Missile Crisis was going on and my dad was a pipe fitter. So they were building these underground Titan missile bases out in the desert out here outside of Boise. And my dad came up here to uh, work on them. And uh, when my mom came to visit him... He, uh, my name originally was called Oops because I was born nine months to the day after my mom got up here. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's, that's, that's that story. Uh, but tornadoes, uh, we went through some really bad tornadoes in 1970, early 1970s and, uh, actually got caught in one and I had a phobia of tornadoes after that. And my family remembered how nice it was in Boise in the weather. So we moved up here in 1973 and, uh, so I went to finish my grade school here and went to high school here. But when I was in high school, I, uh, I got in a, uh, fell in love with cooking. I got a part-time job as a dishwasher at a local hotel here in Boise and mm-hmm. fell in love with cooking. And I, uh, kind of the rest is, rest is history. A lot of stuff happened in the last 40 years, but that's, I used to come to the West side when I was a kid, when we moved here, I only, we only lived four blocks on the West side mm-hmm. and, uh, I used to come down here and get shakes all the time. Yeah, I'm sure that's, you know, obviously an incredible part of any child's life is being able to go in and get some shakes. Oh, yeah. The, the West Side's been around forever. Uh, 
got a great history to it. I mean, it's really a Boise institution. I mean, we've been offered many times to sell it, but uh, we've kept it in the family. Uh, we've owned it for 26 years now, and, and uh, it's it's staying in the family. My son, my son, daughter, both work in the business. My son runs the other west side on the other side of town, but I'm kind of weaning it off of me and giving it to him, the one the, the mothership down here in downtown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So tell me a little bit about the history. When did when did Westside Drive-In get its start? Well, it got started. The, the drive-in itself got started in 1957. Uh, but I found out some history before that. I actually had heard there was rumors around saying it was a grocery store in the 1940s. And I was at a at a anniversary party for a, a, a private beach club, actually, about 100 miles outside of Boise. And about a 90-year-old lady walked up to me and says, we have a connection. My uncle opened up the Westside Grocery Store. And I oh, said, really? you're kidding. And she said, yeah, and I got a picture of it. And she shows me a picture of this that looked like an old Western uh, mercantile shop. It was on the corner. It was open in 1926. It was a Westside grocery store in 1926. And uh, up until 1956, that's what it was, was the Westside was the corner grocery store. And they tore that building down in 1956 and built the, the Westside Drive-In in 1957. On, the, on that same location? Same corner, yeah. Yeah. Wow. It actually has even deeper history than that because – in 1997, the, uh, our local fair here, which is the Western Idaho Fair, it's the largest fair in Idaho, uh, they presented me with a plaque. They did some history and found out that the, the original Western Idaho Fair, where the carnival rides and everything, was on this corner, too. So I've got a plaque in my parking lot mm-hmm. saying this 100-year anniversary of the Western Idaho Fair. It's the first site of the fair. So it goes way oh, back, awesome. this corner does. Yeah, wow. And, and you're just continuing that history right on. Yeah, I'm the third owner. Uh, the original owner, uh, he, him and a bunch of his buddies actually opened up a bunch of drive-ins in Boise in 1957. Actually, it was 50, 1954 to 1957. Uh, they were all high school buddies, and then after high school, uh, the one, the guy, the original owner of the West Side built this West Side, and then his friend built another drive-in about uh, half a mile away, and three other drive-ins opened up, and they were all friends, so they were kind of a rat pack. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then he sold it to another family, and then that family owns about five drive-ins in Boise, and then they gave it to their daughter, and their daughter, we bought it from their daughter in 1994. And I, uh, you know, I my background doesn't dictate running a drive-in, so I really had no idea how to run a drive-in. I was I was a classically trained chef, and I I worked for large corporations and large hotels, and mm-hmm. was a corporate chef for a large restaurant chain, and I don't know. Uh, I think the good Lord just just put a uh, idea in my brain when I drove by the West Side one day, and there's a little tiny for sale site outside of it. And I thought, hmm, I wonder what I can do with this thing. And uh, it was it was uh, love at first sight, I guess, because I I uh, ended up getting by buying it, and I actually didn't buy it for the driving. I was actually a corporate chef for another company, and I there was a building on the property that that I could see catering out of. So I, I was really into upscale catering. So I thought, well, I'll just buy the drive-in as an afterthought and I'll, I'll focus on catering. So I actually stayed at my other job. I, mm-hmm. I, I committed to them for another year, but that only lasted about two months. And <laughs> I ended up quitting that job and, and coming full-time at the West side. And I did start a catering business and, and the driving was a little bit of an afterthought, but only for about six months because, you, you know, we, we just had a lot of things fall in place for us. I, I mean, we were we were only doing about three or four hundred dollars a day, 
it was very small sales and I was focusing on the catering business. Well, the the local newspaper, which is the largest paper in Idaho, uh, I got interviewed by one of their writers and they did a big feature on the West side and my history and where I had come from and, and kind of tagged this token, the only drive-in with a chef. And after that, and that, that was five, five months after we opened and we just got bombarded after that. We went from doing three to $400 a day to 1500 to $2,000 a day. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, it, that was a that was just a it was a blessing. I still know the guy that wrote that article, and I told him I said that was the turning point of our driving. I mean, it made people know who we were, and and uh, and you know, and that that was that was a, a good good starting point for us. We uh, my background being a chef, I you know owning a drive-in is you know you burger joint, and I uh, I got real cooks in here. I hired I hired I hired a lot of cooks from my other place of business actually and and we changed the menu and we made we made everything from scratch and that's what we started focusing on it was 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 really good food made from scratch and not like the chain restaurants and and that really has carried us the last 26 years because we still to this day make our own soups our own sauces our stocks uh all of the main brand items like prime rib pork ribs lasagna meatballs meatloaf all that stuff we make from scratch we cut our own fish we we I mean, everything is from scratch pretty much. I mean, I'd say 90% of our stuff is, is made from scratch. Yeah, that's incredible. And that's what really, when I was researching you and, and the drive-in, that's what really stood out. You know, not, like you said, not many drive-ins out there have a classically trained chef in the kitchen. And <clears throat> so when I think of a drive-in, I think of uh, greasy burgers and fries and, and you know what you're getting and it's all very consistent. One drive-in is the same as the next. When you took to, when when you took over, what was the food like, and how long did it take you to start changing things, and what did you change it to? Well, when I took over, they were using a lot, a lot of pre-done frozen stuff. Um, one thing was like the finger steaks. Uh, the, they made, they bought pre-done finger sticks, which were just a terrible product. And then mm-hmm. they were using parts burgers, as we call them in the trade, where where they're only about 75% hamburger and the rest is, is like mystery meat, uh, mm-hmm. soy grits and other fillers. And so I got rid of that right away and I went to fresh hamburgers and, and finger sticks. We went right back to our, our fresh finger sticks, which, you know, we're known all over the world for our finger sticks. Um, uh, that's a that's a story we can talk about in a second. But I I, uh, I just changed the menu. We went from six burgers on the menu to thirty, and I added all. I mean, we had we had like two hundred fifty items on our menu within about six months. I just mm-hmm. I just said we're we're gonna we're gonna appease everybody, and and, and we have, and, and and that's really I mean that's incredibly helped us during this COVID outbreak because you know, we've been very blessed because we have drive-thrus. Our, our state street location has two drive-thrus and the park center has one drive-thru and then mm-hmm. park center has a dining room. They had to shut it down, but the drive-thru, I mean, that's really helped us. So our menu has been a, just an added bonus to people because, um, you know, you can come and get a corn dog or they can get a prime rib dinner. They could get a grilled cheese. They can get a lasagna. I mean, you name it, they can come in and get whatever. And I, I was noticing that last night I was cooking on the grill last night. We were really busy and, and we were getting huge orders and they were, you could tell they were family orders and, and, and it ran the gamut and from a greasy cheeseburger to a, a, a rack of pork ribs. And, and that's part of our success is people know they can come here and they know it's fresh, good food and it's not out of a box. And, 
and and they uh, can feed their whole family. Yeah, that's what really, again, that's what stood out to me from looking at the menu is just, I mean, I, I don't know many drive-ins where you can go and get the burger, but also get, you know, prime rib or lasagna. Um, and so, yeah, I, I would agree. You're kind of a one-stop shop for whatever someone might be craving. It's, it's pretty expansive from, from what I was looking at. Yeah, and it's been a challenge. You know, I get I've, I got chastised quite a bit early on about why my menu's so big and the inventory I have to carry. And and you know, our, our driving on State Street's only seven hundred and eighty square feet. It's a very small building, so mm-hmm. I, uh, you know, I, that was a problem for the first five or six years of, of really getting a handle on it. And we, you know, we shaved off about one hundred and twenty items off our menu about ten years ago, but it's still a big menu. It's still a huge menu, and. And we have to really, being a chef, you know, we repurpose things, we, we mix and match stuff. We have, you know, we sell three or 4,000 specials a month because we have special boards where we, we're like when you go into a restaurant, you, they have a fresh sheet where you, you order things off their fresh sheet or the waiter comes and says, today our special is this. Mm-hmm. But we ha- we're unique in that aspect is because you don't go to many drive-ins where they walk up and you've got this big list of all these specials. So, you know, like I say, our soups, uh, we make it being a chef background. I can, I can make stuff out of nothing. So I, I, uh, I mean, we sell a ton of specials and, and mm-hmm. they're good specials. They're not like, Oh, that's obviously leftover. Um, <laughs> you know, I remember, I remember going into a restaurant after Thanksgiving in California. I was visiting my brother in San Jose one day and we went to this buffet restaurant. It was after Thanksgiving and, and we went through the buffet and there was turkey burritos, turkey enchiladas, turkey <laughs> tostadas. I mean, obviously, you know, you, you, don't, you know where it came from. So right. our specials, we don't, you know, we have to use up leftovers, but we use them in a good way. I mean, we grind our own beef. We, we roast all of our own meat. Um, so obviously with, with broths and stocks from the leftover meat and, and we grind stuff up, we make our own barbecue beef, all that stuff. People can, you can tell the difference and, and, you know, you don't leave our drive-in, a lot of drive-ins or a lot of fast food places you go and eat and then you feel really bloated after a couple of hours or even mm-hmm. an hour you feel bloated it's because of all the preservatives and everything that's in their food. And, and we just don't believe in that. We, 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 if you get a fresh product and your sauce is made from scratch and it's all natural, good ingredients, then nobody's going to feel bloated when they, when they leave our drive-in. Yeah. No, that's incredible. So when you when you're talking about all these specials over the years of of your ownership there, what, what would you say has been the most creative or most unique or uh, interesting special that you guys have done? Oh boy, that's a tough question. Um, you know, w- when you ask me that question, the first thing I think of is a lot of our unique specials actually ended up becoming menu items. <laughs> so, I mean, we were, we were doing Buffalo fries before there was a thing for Buffalo fries. I mean, that's cause you know, when you're in a drive-in and you overcook fries, you, you, uh, you have a lot of leftover fries and people are just throwing them away. And I'm thinking, boy, there's gotta be a way we can get rid of these fries. So, mm-hmm. uh, so we started doing tossing them in Buffalo sauce. And, and so we sell Buffalo fries, Buffalo tots, and, and they sell like crazy. Uh, but I was doing that 25 years before they became popular. I mean, and now it's everywhere, but we, uh, mm-hmm. but a lot of our specials became menu items. Our, our, uh, uh, you know, spaghetti and meatballs are, we make our own meatballs. I got my mother's recipe cause she's, she's, uh, got an Italian background. Uh, I think one of our specials that, that really went nuts was we had a duck fettuccine one time. 
that people just were in shock. It, it like created a buzz because they went to a drive-in and got duck duck fettuccine. They couldn't, <laughs> couldn't believe that they were getting duck fettuccine in a drive-in. Um, but we've become known for that, and 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 it all it all. If you, it, I always I always uh, I always promulgate the the notion in my brain, and I pass it on to my employees that that you if you dream it, you can do it, and you need help along the way, but but. It, it can be done. Don't people laugh at you? People laughed at me when I started the when I when I bought the drive-in. We took over April first, nineteen ninety-four, and it was it was just run down and it was it was just dilapidated. And like I said, it didn't have any life in it. So the mm-hmm. first thing I did was put new menu boards up, and across the top of the menu boards, I put "Welcome to the Famous West Side Drive-In," and I made the cashiers when they took the order, I'd say I had them say "Welcome to the Famous West Side Drive-In," mm-hmm. and I'll tell you, we got laughed at. Uh, I, my cashier, some of them I had to fire, some of them just refused to say it and quit because the problem with that statement is we were not famous. We, we, yeah. weren't, we weren't even close to being famous, but you know, and it's the old ad, you know, you tell a lie long enough, it becomes the truth. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we, we did. I mean, and, and eventually, you know, we had a lot of good breaks along the years. We, uh, we, uh, we just, we just, uh, you know, there, there's luck and there's, there's faith and trust in, in, in your creator that he's going to help you along the way. And we, we did that. I mean, we, we've had a lot of breaks. I mean, we've been on a lot of TV shows. We've been on international television and it, it didn't just happen because of luck. It's, it happened because of hard work and, and trust in, in the system you're doing and trusting in your beliefs and trusting in that, that, that your employees are the face of the company. And it's not just chef Lou out there. It's, it's, it's your, it's your employees that make you great. Not you, not you. And, right. and I've always held that, adage and i've always run a company like that because you know employees can make or break you i, I get that question asked a lot what's what's the most thing you what's the best thing you like about your running a business and i say my employees and mm-hmm. what's the worst thing you like about running your business what's the worst thing you, you don't like and that's uh, my employees it's both mm-hmm. you know you, you, your employees you either love or hate them but but we try to run it like a family and 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 we get breaks that way you get you get breaks people and once you're in the system especially like the food network. And when, when we were the number one requested restaurant in the state for diners, drivers and dives in 2009, when we mm-hmm. got aired that year and that really took us to a completely another level of, and it, it's true when they say, when you're on triple D things change, cause we went up like 40% sales oh, and yeah. that held for about three years after that. And the good thing about triple D is they re, they rerun those episodes all the time. I mean, we oh, were yeah. just on there again last week, and every time it runs, we get a big bump in sales, and I get tons of emails from all over the country. I want your prime rib recipe. I want this. I want that, and uh, and that's really been a big big help to us. Because um, I mean, we've been on Man versus Food, we've been on Triple D, we've been on Guys Grocery Games, mm-hmm. we've been on State Plate, we've been on Russian television. I mean, we've had people from all over the world come here. Um, so it's 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 just been a total blessing. Yeah, you know, and just going back to what you were saying about employees, um, it, I've I've been doing this will be my forty fourth episode, and I've done a lot of research on a lot of places. I've interviewed a lot of places, and it's crazy how many of these places that have been around as long or longer as you guys have, and one thing that seems to be a common thread is how they treat their employees and that they treat them like family, you know? And that's something that I think 
I don't know, you go into some of the the chain restaurants out there and it's kind of a a sterile, cold uh, assembly line and you almost have a robot taking your order. And then you you go into some of these other places and you, you can tell the difference. It really does make or break a business, in my opinion. Oh, it totally does. Totally does. I mean, we have, I mean, early on when, when I was working for all these corporations and these other companies, I learned a ton of stuff. I learned a ton of stuff about business and I learned a lot of stuff, a, a lot of things about how to treat people. And when you work for a, when you work for a large company and I'm not saying large companies are bad, but I'm telling you they're different. And you are a lot of places I worked at treated you like a number. And mm-hmm. I, I, when I got into upper level management, I, noticed a lot of things that there was a big disconnect between the management and the line workers and, you know, TV shows have come out of that, obviously from that thinking, but I, uh, I kept a list. I mean, I, when I was eight, I I became a line cook in 1978 and I wrote down my goals and a lot of people don't take stock in what, if you write down your goals, you have a 90% chance of achieving your goals. And I had a, a mentor tell me that I says, don't just let your goals walk around in your head because they're less likely to become true. So he told, he told me when I was 18, he said, Lou, you need it. Cause I, that was my first uh, chef's job when I was 18. I, uh, he says, you need to write down your goals and they can be silly goals or whatever. But he said, write them down. So I wrote them down and they were silly. I mean, there were some of them really stupid. And uh, I, I called them my 30, 30 club, 30 goals before I was 30. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, it's amazing. I achieved every single one of those goals, except one. And the last, the last goal I had on there was to own my own restaurant. And I own, mm. I, I, I bought my first restaurant when I was 21, I mean, 31. Mm-hmm. So I missed it by a year. And, uh, and it, it was silly goals. I mean, like I wanted, I wrote when I was 18, I wrote down, I wanted to get married when I was 24. I wanted to have a boy first. And then I want to have a girl a year later. Well, guess what? I got married when I was 24, had a boy first and had a girl a year later. And it's not <laughs> like I had that goal up there. Okay, honey, I'm 24. Now we're going to get married. No, it, it's like, it's not, it just stuff happens. It's just really weird. Yeah. And, uh, I wrote down a bunch of stuff on my, as I worked at these big companies, I wrote down stuff that I liked and I disliked about working for a big company. So when I bought the West side, I said, okay, I pulled out that list. I said, I'm not going to do this as an owner of a company because I was on the other side and I know how it feels to get treated like this by being an employee. So that's why I have, I have employee meetings once a month. I open up my books and I, I go over a pie chart. I show them where our profit and loss is. I explain the value of waste of, of what we're wasting and they understand exactly where we are. And I break it down into a, to a hundred pennies. I put a hundred pennies on the table and I just take the cost away expenses. So they understand where the pennies are going because a lot of people don't understand restaurants are pen, are a penny business. I mean, we, we're only penny profits. I mean, we're not mm-hmm. 25, 30% profit. We're three to five cents usually is the average. Mm-hmm. And, and if you run it good, you're going to do that, but you don't, I mean, it's just like right now. I mean, beef prices have gone through the roof. What I was paying for meat two months ago is doubled and mm. I can't just go out there and raise my prices double. That, that's not going to work. I mean, people aren't going to pay 10 bucks for a hamburger when they're paying five bucks right now. So right. Uh, that waste and the acknowledgement of waste is a huge deal. Waste can make or break you. And, and just giving the employees ownership in the company that they, what they do really matters and they have a voice. I mean, we got a, we get so many compliments on our employees. Uh, I, I got an email just a couple of weeks ago from a lady that said that I just wanted to tell you what happened tonight at your drive-in. I came by and got a chocolate marshmallow shake for my dad who is dying from cancer. And he's only got a couple of days left. And his favorite thing the last month 
test for me and me to come down to the West side and get a chocolate marshmallow shake. Well, the, the cashier handed me the shake and I gave her the money and she said, no, 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 it's on us today. And it totally mm-hmm. melted that lady. And, and she wrote me, she goes, this, you are part of my family. You, you understand what that meant. I know it wasn't a lot of money, but you don't understand what it meant to know that, that you know what's going on in my life. And I appreciate the, the concern that you have for my family. And we get a lot of stuff like that. And our employees know that. I'm not going to yell at an employee for giving somebody a shake. And, and, and they know that. And, and we have a policy that, that the employees can make hard decisions and the consequences are going to be much less if, you know, we want people to leave going, wow, I want to experience, I, I want, I want to remember something. And they go tell people like, Hey, I went over there and they did this for me, or I went here and they did this. I don't want to, I don't want them to, uh, to leave the place and complain because, you know, with social media today, I mean, it goes like crazy oh, yeah. when somebody's not happy. And, and, you know, and I, I, we, when we get a complaint, which we do, obviously I print off the complaint and I put it on the bulletin board and we have a little group meeting to go over everything. Even if, even if some people, you know, cause the natural thing is, well, we didn't, we didn't really do that. They're they're, they're they didn't, that didn't happen. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, well, obviously something happened. And I tried to explain to them that, that customers who complain are our best customers because mm-hmm. nine out of 10 people don't complain. They just don't come back. So mm-hmm. we need to treat those people that complain very, very good. And that's what we do. And we, and, and we're known for that too. I mean, we don't, we don't question complaints. We, we acknowledge them. We give them their money back or we, and we give them a gift of it to come back and we write them a letter saying no, we're apologize. We're apologize because we're not perfect, obviously. So, but our employees know that. And, and, and we've had people work here. I've had one lady work here 25 years. I mean, on our average rate, it's about seven years tenure right now. And I don't know too many drive-ins or even restaurants that keep mm-hmm. that kind of turnover. When I was a corporate chef, our turnover was 250 to 300% a year. And, the last mm-hmm. five years at this drive-in and Park Center drive-in, our turnover is about 28%. That's nothing. And that's, yeah, that's mainly dishwashers. Yeah. yeah. No, I think that I, I have a couple friends that uh, own restaurants, and I mean, that's one thing they're always complaining about, the turnover. They can't keep it staffed. And, and I think that just, you know, not to say anything about how they're running their business, but I, I think sometimes owners can get caught up in, the dollars and cents and you know, you, you lose a lot. And, and like you said, you empower your employees to make those hard decisions and, and you know, your employee gave away a shake and that lady's going to tell you, she's going through a hard thing. When, when, when I go through something hard and someone does something great for me, I shout it from the rooftops, you know? So oh, yeah. like yeah. It, that, that, you know, three, four bucks that she gave away, it, it's going to, I mean, best advertising money in my exactly. opinion you could spend. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that's, and, and the psychology of that is when somebody complains, I, I, I break down the complaint. Okay. I, I say, okay, so you burnt, a, you burnt a finger steak and you handed it out. Why did you do that? Well, I was in a rush or whatever. And this happened last night. I caught it before it went out, but I said, these finger steaks are burnt. I can't serve these. And he was, it's just because we were busy. I said, okay, this is what's going to happen. We're going to serve these burnt finger steaks. And the customer's going to get them in their thing. They're going to get in their car. They're going to go home. They're going to say, these finger steaks are burnt. They're going to call the drive-in. They're going to say, my finger steaks are burnt. That's going to cost us a $15 refund. It's going to cost us another $15 mm-hmm. gift certificate. And that person's got a bad taste in their mouth of whether they even want to come back to the drive or not. So I don't care if we're busy. <laughs> Put, yeah. make, get, quit burning finger steaks. So, yeah. I mean, that's the – and we do that with every single complaint. We break it down. Like, look what this complaint cost us because – you know, if we did it to one person, there's probably 10 other people we did it to. 
Because if you're willing to, to hand out something bad to one person, you probably handed out another 10 things to somebody else. And those mm. people aren't going to complain. They're just not going to come back. So it's, 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 it's just, uh, they just got to make them take ownership. That's it. And, 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 you know, it is very hard to keep employees, but you know, money's not an issue. And I tell them that right up front. I've been interviewed by TV stations a lot over the last 20 years about the minimum wage deal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm like saying, well, what's minimum wage? I, I, we don't, we haven't paid minimum wage ever here, ever. I mean, we're always three to $4 an hour above minimum wage. And we have to, to compete with everybody else mm-hmm. because you got to run some value on people. And I, when I was growing up, minimum wage was like entry level workers. And that's what it was. I mm-hmm. think people have a different perception of that now, but I'm not, that's not, that's another debate, but we've never paid anybody minimum wage. We, we value people. And, and I, I, when I hire the people, I tell them, I said, money is not an issue. You come in here and you work hard because I don't hire on ability. I hire on effort. I mean, and I tell everybody that, I mean, because you know, we get the people that like to gossip and like to say, well, he's not doing it this way and he can't do that. But what kind of effort is that person given? So, so we we teach our employees when somebody. It's really easy to point out faults in people. I mean, that's the easiest thing in the world to do. Mm-hmm. And and we we preach this at every employee meeting that you cannot run down another person because every one of us have faults. And most of the time, when you're complaining about another person, you have worse faults than they do on the same thing you're complaining about. So, as long as you think that, then think of the good things that person's doing and, and how they're contributing to our restaurant. And if you see some fault that they have, you probably got the same fault. So you need to help them try to overcome that fault and, and do it in a, in a loving and caring way. And that, that has reaped many benefits because it really wakes people up to, to the reality that we're, we all have faults and, and it's real easy to just jump on the fault bandwagon. So we try to try to focus on the good things people are doing. And if mm-hmm. they do have faults, we try to make them to, to overcome them. Yeah. And, and that's so profound, particularly in a place of business, you know, it, yeah, just to have that attitude and instill that mindset in employees, like that's got to turn around and, and make an incredible work culture. Oh, it does. It does. It's like a family, you know, and all families fight. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we had a fight. We had a fight a couple of nights ago. Well, it wasn't a fight fight, but it was an argument between our dishwasher and one of our cooks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, that's another thing that we always go back to in, a, in, in my philosophy on how to run a business is because when I did work for all those other companies, every, you work for any company in the world, you open up that employee manual, the first thing you see on the front page is what? You see the mission statement, you know, that all-powerful mission statement where you have this picture of these big guys in suits in the back room. Okay, what's our mission statement? Or the owners of the company, what's our mission statement? And I would go in these corporate-level meetings when I was a corporate chef. And we would start talking about all these problems that we're having with these restaurants. And I'd say, well, what's our mission statement? And, you know, we have high-level executives. They didn't know what our mission statement was. It's like, okay, well, what is the mission statement? And, and you know, mi- mission, that word mission comes from the word missile, the Latin word missio, which means, you know, it's a target. You know, missile means we're going straight to this. This is where we're going. Mm-hmm. And if people don't – if the people at the top level don't even know your mission statement – there's no way in hell the, the lower level people are going to know what your mission statement is. So, so when I wrote my mission statement, I wrote, we exist for our customers. And I wrote a whole level of things underneath that mission statement saying the very next thing underneath we exist for our customers from our customer, our individual and collective goals will be achieved because everything, everything we do in this company is motivated by the customer. So anytime mm-hmm. there's an argument or anytime there's a point of view or anything Anything, any discrepancy we have is, okay, 
is it is this decision motivated is this feeling is this argument is this motivated by the customer or is this motivated by your personal agenda or how you feel about something and usually it just quells the argument right away and and we have a little quip around the west side going when there's any kind of thing comes up like the other night when these two guys were arguing i just went up to him i said what's this got to do with our mission statement and they both looked at each other and it's like okay well it has nothing to do with it i said it has to do with you guys being selfish so are you committed to the mission? And then I asked them both, what's our mission statement? And they both looked at me and said, we exist for the customer. I said, well, you're not existing for the customer right now. So you need to get it together. And it was <laughs> like, they shook hands and apologized to the other and went back to work. So, oh, and that, that quells out because managers, and, and it's another thing I don't do is I don't, I don't have managers. I don't believe in managers. That's another thing. I, when I work for companies, we had all these managers. Well, managers manage people. And we don't manage people here. We manage tasks. So I have team leaders that, that manage the tasks. So the personality is taken out of it. It's, mm-hmm. it's just, okay, well, you want to go clean the toilet? It's a task. It's that, because I'm picking on you. It's a, that's a task that's got to get done. So mm-hmm. it, it quells a lot, of, a lot of problems. Like, oh, he's picking on me or she's, she's making me do this and she wouldn't do it. But they know, every employee knows that everybody's capable of doing everything in this restaurant. So it really helps the mission. As long as you, because every one of our employees, we're telling when we hire them, you need to memorize this mission statement because you're going to be quizzed on it. And this is how we live and breathe is this mission statement. So, and it really helps a lot of things. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. I mean, you, you have to be intentional. You have to have guidance. You have to have, and everyone has to buy in. Otherwise, you're going to be, you're going to be the West Side drive-in that you bought, not the one that you've become, Right. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly, and and that's the way that's the way uh, that's the way we operate. Our employees know the West Side is an institution, and and it's almost like a living organism. I mean, I, I hate to compare it that way, but it really is. It's mm-hmm. and it's the people that are here, and and we have a we have, we're like a misfit family here. I'm telling you, about 20 years ago, I made a decision because of I'm an alcoholic. Okay, I haven't drank I haven't drank in I lost track now. It's like 20. 20, 27 years, I, I, mm-hmm. I quit drinking, but I know what addiction is like, and all of us have addictions. Well, I started getting these people coming in out of prison, and they were like at their last rope, saying, "No one will hire me. I'm a felon, or I, I can't do this." So I, you know, I started taking chances on these people. I started working with the local uh, advance. It's called what's called the Emancipation Home. It was the health and welfare. It was a liaison where where kids troubled kids would go to detention and they would get put in this house and then they would try to get it reintroduced back into society. So I started hiring these, these 16, 17 year old kids that had really troubled lives. And we've had tons of success stories. And obviously mm-hmm. half of them didn't make it. Half of them went back to the gangs or went back to, to their way of life, but half of them didn't make it. And I, I still get letters today from 20 years ago, people saying that you totally changed the direction of my life. Mm. And and we've been kept. We've been doing that for 20 years now. We have, we hire we hire people out of prison. I can tell you right now, we did a we did a, a analysis about six months ago. It's Eighty almost 85 percent of our employees had been or were in prison within the last five years, and and we have re- it's like a rehab rehab place here. I've got a, a person right now that she was in prison for five years. She worked all five years in work release. Oh, not five years. She was she she was in prison for five years, and she came got into work release. She worked for me for three years to finish her term out, and she was a meth addict. And mm-hmm. now she's married, has a kid. We helped her get a house, and she's totally rehabilitated. And and mm-hmm. we know, and that's what we're put on this earth for is to help people 
you know, be better, better human beings. And, you know, I look at all what's going on right now and I just think people, people need to understand that we're here to help each other. We're not here to break each other down and that's how we run it. So like I say, we've got, we've got a lot of uh, felons working here or, you know, and I, I, and that's a scary term to say, we have felons working here, but we, we, we give people a chance and, you know, sometimes they don't make it and they disappear, but other times, you know, they make it and they change their lives. And that's, that's what we're trying to change people's lives. Mm-hmm. No, that's, I mean, <laughs> it, it's infectious. It's infectious listening to you talk about it just because, you know, we, we all, everyone, everyone has a past. Everyone has been places they're not proud. And, and sometimes that's all we need is uh, someone to take a chance on, on us. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know. And that's, and, and I go back to my history. Someone took a chance on me. I mean, I've been a couple of times in the gutter. I mean, being an alcoholic in the 1980s, I mean, I, I really, I look back at my life and there's some big points in my life where I had someone come and just save me. I mean, literally God sent an angel to come and say, okay, it's time for you to do this. And it, and it, and it, and it, it changed my life. So people don't realize that words mean things and, and words, are, words, words, words can change your life. I mean, I can go back to my childhood things said to me that had a negative effect on my life. And I look mm-hmm. back in my like the guy telling me when I was 18 to write down my goals, that changed my life just by him telling me to do that. That changed my complete course in life. And we, words are very powerful. So we need to understand that, that we can change the direction of a person's life. And, and it's not, it's not fake. Words, words have been, words have been minimalized, but they're, they're really, they mean a lot. Mm -hmm. No, I, amen. (laughs) Right there. Amen. Yeah. I I just really, I, I, I've really enjoyed, I've really enjoyed this conversation, and it, at a time where I think the world needs this type of a conversation, you know, and, and more people like you out there, uh, spreading more good and adding something to society instead of taking away. Uh, it's just, it's incredible. It's, I've, well, I've enjoyed it, this. It, it, well, thank you, thank you, and it, and it is. It's very important that that people understand that because it's. You know, we're in the, it's the old term, the WIIFM channel, radio channel, you know, what's in it for me. And, and mm-hmm. it's not about that. As you, as, as I get older, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting old. Okay. So I, I hate to say that, admit that, but I'm getting old. I look <laughs> back at my life and all those years I was just living for myself. And finally something hit me to where when you get hit rock bottom and realize it's not about, it's not about you. It's about how, how you have a purpose in life. All of us have purposes in life and we need to be able to help other people. And that builds us up when we help other people, you know, it's just like the scriptures say, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and when we give out, we get so much more back and mm-hmm. it's hard sometimes to do that. I hired a, I, I got talked into, uh, we worked with, uh, uh, troubled, it's called life's kitchen. It's a thing here in Boise that they, they have troubled youth in their training and how to cook. Well, I had a guy come and talk me into hiring this refugee from Nigeria did not speak a lick of English. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was, he taught, he, he spoke Swahili and French <laughs> and I'm like, I don't want to hire this guy. I can't believe the difficulty this is going to be. Mm-hmm. And, and that was seven years ago. Well, guess what? We've got the, he, he's one of my best employees. <laughs> he still doesn't speak very good English, but he <laughs> understands. He's a very good friend. And I have two of his daughters working for me and they oh, don't speak cool. very good English either, but, but it's the effort. Yeah. It's not the ability. It's they're they're hard workers. They're friendly. They're loving people, and everybody loves them. And I, I, I uh, 
you know, and, and there I was on the fence. I look back at that moment going, I do not want to hire that. I remember saying, I'm not going to hire this guy. There's no way. And it's like, okay, God just saying, okay, just let it, just do it. So I did it. And like I say, he's a great guy. He's been here seven years and, mm. and uh, he bought a house. Can you believe that? I mean, I, that's, that's what I love to hear these stories. I mean, the guy bought a house. He was homeless when I hired him. Uh. So I, I love, I love that. And there's a lot of stories. A lot of people are doing this and that's what I wish the world would hear stuff like this because it's, uh, I mean, it, it's happening all over the place. Mm-hmm. It's happening a lot in Boise. So I, uh, you know, I just wish it, I'm glad, I'm glad there's a vehicle here to get some of the good news out there. Cause there's good news out there. Yeah. I, you know, obviously, <laughs> obviously this conversation went a different direction than I thought it was, but it's, it's one that I've absolutely, I've absolutely enjoyed. And, and that's why I love, uh, doing the show and doing these interviews because I, I never know what I'm going to get because everyone has a different background and a different life story and they're all contributing in a different way uh, to society. And so it's it's just been incredible to hear how many lives you've been able to touch, how many uh, lives you've been able to change, uh, that you've been that instrument to to do that. And, and not because you want to stroke your ego or because, you know, it, you're being selfish with it, but because you're just a genuinely good person, just genuinely doing good things and you know i i think that's something well to, thank you to, i to I, I, I can't take credit for that i i've just got to give credit to god on that because he's the one that's taken me i mean i i could tell you tons of more stories about how i've been almost near death and and god has grabbed me so i i uh i just you know we're we're we are on this earth to serve other people that's what we're here for and that's mm-hmm. all i'm trying to do and i'm not trying to get glory because the glory goes to him it doesn't go to me and uh, I just wish more people would understand how that works. <laughs> it's it's frustrating sometimes. I mean, it's frustrating yeah. for me because I wake up sometimes too thinking, okay, well, the glory's coming to me today, God, not you. And I'm going <laughs> to do it my way. And then I find out I failed. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, well, thank, thanks for the conversation and I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, real quick, before we wrap up, I know it, it's come up a couple times and I'm dying to know. Uh, what okay. is a Boise finger steak? I, I got to know a little okay. bit more about this. Yeah, no problem. Okay, so when those guys, when those the, those friends opened up those restaurants in the 1950s, they are the originators of the the, the finger steaks. They came up with it. Those people that ran those drive-ins, there was uh, there was four drive-ins that all had finger steaks on the menu. And when and when I talked to Ralph Caskey, the first original owner of the West Side. He handed me a piece of paper from 1961 that was the original finger stick recipe from the West Side. Now, there's an argument because these guys all knew each other, so they all claim to have created the finger stick. So there's a little, and it's still going on today. I mean, you have other restaurants in town saying, we, we're the original finger stick. Uh, I've never claimed to have the original finger stick, although the original owner said that he created the finger sticks, but, but mm-hmm. I'm not, it's, it's, it's way past. But you will not find finger sticks outside of Idaho. They're, they just don't exist. When, uh, what they are is they're just, uh, and a lot of people use different meats. I mean, some people use beef tenderloin. We use uh, uh, chuck tender for our finger steak, but people use all kinds. They use like a chicken fried steak, you know, where it's been cube steak, but mm-hmm. it's just dipped in batter and it's fried. And they're about the size of a fi- of your index finger. And and uh, they're, we serve them with cocktail sauce, but other people serve them with barbecue sauce. Mm-hmm. But they, uh, they've taken crazy. And obviously they were featured on uh, diners, drive-ins, and dives, and that, that just went nuts. And uh, now finger steaks have been become uh, all over the country. I know that the Food Network did a did some kind of food fair where finger steaks were Idaho's 
most known dish other than the potato. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. so it's, it's been around, but it started at these drive-ins. I mean, the West side's one of the original, uh, I, I guess, creator original places where the finger steaks started, but, uh, they're really good. I mean, Guy Fieri loved them. I mean, and obviously after that we sell, I mean, we sell about 2000 orders a month right now out of our little drive-in. The park oh, center wow. location sells about 1500 orders a month and it's, and, and it's nuts. And, it, and when it was featured on triple D, it obviously went, went bonkers. Yeah. That's incredible. Next time I'm driving through Boise, I'm, I'm stopping by that you've sold me. There I'm, you go. I'm good. In. <laughs> well, yeah. Good deal. Good deal. Well, look me up. I will. I will. Well, Chef Lou, thank you so much for your time. I, I, you know, I know we've had some back and forth before we get this set up, but I, this has been just a, a highlight of my of my day and my week. So thank you so much for taking well, the time to, well, to come well, on the show. For, thank, thanks for including me. God bless. Super big thanks to Chef Lou for taking the time to come on the show today. I wasn't expecting that conversation, but it's what I personally needed today. And next time I'm in Boise, I'm definitely heading over to the West Side Drive-In to try one of those finger steaks or maybe some prime rib or both. Why not? They both sound amazing. If you want to find out more about the West Side Drive-In, you can find the links to their website and Facebook page in the show notes in the description. And if you're ever in the Boise area, make sure you get in there and check them out. Thanks for listening to the Toasty Kettle Podcast today. Again, if you like what you heard, leave a five-star review. It really does help grow the show, and I can't do it without your help. So uh, I really appreciate it when you take the time to do that and help others connect with the past through food. Until next week. Until next week.